Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, you guys ready for a sermon? Let's, let's go there. We're in the middle of a series called uh, Running with Giants. And so it's taken from this passage in Hebrews where it says that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, that there are all these heroes, heroes of the faith that had a good reputation because of their faith. And they endured trials, um, they endured struggles, they had successes, they had failures. And the writer of Hebrews says, in light of this, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, that we are to run the race of faith with endurance. And it says we're keeping our eyes on Jesus while we run. But if, if, if we were to look at these great heroes of faith and what they have gone through and what they've experienced, there are things that we can learn from them that they learned in their race of faith that we can learn to run with today. And so the first couple of weeks, we looked at Noah and we looked at Jonah. Both of them had adventures in a boat. Noah was obedient, built the boat, got in the boat. And we learned that, that God's not so much concerned with our age and experience. He's concerned with our obedience and availability. And then we look at Jonah, and we see Jonah getting in a boat when he's not supposed to, going in the other direction, but thankfully, God gave Jonah a second chance, and you and I have received second, third, fourth, fifth chances through the grace of God, right? Amen. And we do not just receive those second chances and new beginnings for ourselves, but actually, when you look at the story of Jonah, um, Nineveh... Uh, also needed Jonah's second chance because he was went to declare God's glory and God's wrath. He didn't want to go, and so he rebelled. God gave him a second chance, and Nineveh was spared. And so today we're going to look at the probably one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. And we just see him jump up for a few chapters at the end of First Kings and into the beginning of Second King. And, and Elijah was one of the greatest prophets, and he. He led during the time of Israel when Israel was split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And, 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 a, and one of the kings was King Ahab. You guys have heard that name, right? And he was married to this queen named what? You guys know? Jezebel. And we kind of use that term today as slang, right, of, 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 of certain people with an unrighteous character or a manipulative attitude and spirit. We call them a Jezebel. Because Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, was a little manipulative. And, and Scripture is very clear in saying that, that King Ahab, in 1 Kings 16, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any king that lived before him. And it was through his weakness in leadership 
And it was through Queen Jezebel's manipulation as the queen that Israel turned away from the Lord and began worshiping Baal and did, did so many um, hideous things in the eyes of the Lord of tearing down all the Lord's altars and building these altars to um, the king or the, 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 the god Baal, the false god Baal, and even allowing the walls of Jericho to be rebuilt, to be rebuilt. You guys know the story. It's like the walls of Jericho came down because they marched around the city how many times? You guys with me? Seven? It was like, right, seven, seven times. And then on the last time, they shouted and it says the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And whoever rebuilt those walls would be cursed. And it was under King Ahab's reign that the walls were rebuilt. And so Elijah comes on the scene to speak some truth into the king's life, into the nation of Israel. And we see here in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses, or chapters 2, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, um, go to the east and hide. Actually, let me back up. Stay with me, guys. Sorry. Let me back up. Um, Elijah was told by God to go to King Ahab and tell him there's going to be a drought, and this drought is going to last several years. He didn't put a, a, a time stamp on it. He didn't put uh, an end date on it. He just said, tell King Ahab there's going to be a drought, and it's going to last several years. And so he went delivered the information, and then God gives Elijah some instructions. He says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have, what is that word? Is it up there? For I have what? Commanded, I have commanded the ravens to bring you food. And so Elijah has declared there's going to be a drought, but God is making provisions for Elijah in the midst of that drought. And he says, go to this brook that I have commanded. So, so before Elijah even gets there, guys, before Elijah even gets there, God has everything set up. He has DoorDash in place for the food to be delivered. Maybe it was food for flight. I don't know, right? Um, he has DoorDash in place to deliver the food. He has the creek, the brook there to provide the water. Everything is set up, and he tells, them, tells him to go there. First truth that I think Elijah would tell us is God provides where he sends you. God provides where he sends you. And, and I specifically wrote it that way. God provides where he sends you. Because probably many of us in here have heard this term where God guides, he what? Provides. We like it because it rhymes, right? Where God guides, he provides. But I really want to lean in that God provides where he sends you. Because there is a difference between a guide and being sent. If you've ever been on vacation and you have a tour guide, I remember in high school we went to France and England, and I can't believe my mom let me go across the world as a 17-year-old. 
Sorry, kids, that's not happening in my house, right? Uh, but I remember going, in, like going to France and Paris, and, and we're getting a tour. We knew, my teacher had laid out a plan of where we were going, and we hired a tour guide to show us the good things along the way. And when she pointed, nobody was looking at what she was pointing at. They were looking under her arm because there were some things there that as Americans we weren't used to seeing there, right? I'll let you fill in the blanks. But if you look at a, at, at a tour guide, listen, a tour guide goes with you where you're wanting to go. And so we say in the church where God guides, he provides, and if we're not careful, we will think God is going with us as a tour guide. A tour guide shows you what's going well, but our God doesn't give options. He doesn't give suggestions. Our God is not a tour guide. He's a king and he gives orders. And so God tells Elijah, go there. And when he goes there out of obedience, he's provided for. And so we know like, all right, this is, this is a drought. At some point, the river dries up. And God tells Elijah in 1 Kings 17, verse 8, he says, leave and go to a woman in Zarephath that I have instructed to feed you. So he's commanded the ravens to feed, and now he has instructed a woman in Zarephath to feed Elijah. And so Elijah knows I'm going to go where God tells me to go because he provides for me when I'm sent. And so he goes to the gates of the city and he sees this widow coming out and he says, hey, can you fix me something to eat? And the widow says, I really don't have a lot. I was planning on making a final meal for me and my son and that was it. What little flour, what little oil I have left, I'm gonna make some bread and we're gonna have a meal and that's gonna be it and we're gonna die. And, and Elijah says, feed me first and then do what you planned, and I promise you that you will have plenty to eat as long as, long as you need it. And so this is, this is what happens in 1 Kings 17. So she did as Elijah said, verse 15, <clears throat> and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. And so imagine that, right? Imagine that, that you have just a little bit and this stranger comes knocking on your door and says, hey, um, can you give me something to eat? And you're like, well, all I have is some turkey and a couple of slices of bread and I was gonna fix my family a sandwich and that's it. And, and he says, feed me first and then you will not go without. And it is because of Elijah's faith getting him there that he opened opportunities of faith and provision for her and she continued to eat because God doesn't just provide for us when we're obedient, but guess what he also does? When we go to places God calls us to and we trust, he doesn't just provide for us, but he also provides through us. I mean, I look at like... I know you guys will one day get tired of hearing church planner stories, but until then, deal with it, right? This is my, this is, no, thank you. This is not my faith journey. This is our faith journey. Because just as we have been obedient, moving here and following God, trusting God, you guys that are serving in this house have been obedient and joined this team with a crazy 
pastor who tells horrible jokes, trusting him and what God is speaking to him and his family. And I've seen God provide through you to those around you. So when we're obedient, God just doesn't provide for us, but he also provides through us for those that are around us. And so the drought is kind of coming to an end. Elijah's been provided for, and, and so God tells Elijah that it's, it's, it's time for you to go present yourself to the king. And, and everyone's terrified of Elijah because Abraham's been, or Ahab has been looking all over for Elijah. And Elijah finally presents himself to the king. And this is what King Ahab says. He calls him a troublemaker. He's like, there you are, you troublemaker. Where have you been? You've been causing all kinds of trouble for this kingdom. And, and Elijah tells King Ahab, I'm not the troublemaker. You and your wife are the troublemaker. You have built these altars to Baal, and you have caused the people of God to turn from him and to worship other gods. And so Elijah says this. He's, he says, look, let's get everybody together and let's settle this. Let's get everybody together. Let's settle this. You get your 400 prophets of Baal. You get the 450 prophets of, of Asherah and bring all the people of Israel together and we're going to settle this. Who is God in Israel? And he makes this statement in verse 21. It says, he stood in front of them and he said, how much longer will you waver? And he's talking to the prophets and he's talking to the, to the people of Israel. And he says, how much longer will you waver? How much longer will you basically stand in the middle? And he says, look, you, you are hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And what he's saying is, look, you're trying to get the best of both worlds, because Baal was the god of fertility and harvest, and so they would worship him. But then when Baal wouldn't answer in the way they thought, they would go over here and worship God. And when God wouldn't worship or, or answer in the way that they wanted, guess where they would do? They were going back and forth. And I see today in churches all across America, if we're not careful, we have one foot in culture, one foot in our faith, and we're going back and forth, back and forth. And so times today are really not much different than what Elijah was facing. He says, how long are you going to hobble? How long are you going to hobble? And that's like when you think of someone hobbling, they're not walking with confidence. What are they doing? They're limping. They're, they're, they're limping because there's no strength. And he says, look, if Baal is God, go all in. If, if, if God is God, go all in. We even see this in the New Testament. You can't be both hot and cold. You're either one or the other. If you're lukewarm, what happens? I spit you out. He's saying, look, we're gonna decide today. And so he says, get your prophets together. Ahab, get your prophets together. We're gonna offer a sacrifice. We're gonna see who is God. And he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And this is a familiar Sunday school story, vacation Bible school story. I've dressed up as Elijah. I've done like all these things. And so, so he calls the prophets of Baal together and he allows them to go first. He allows them to go first to offer their sacrifice and so they set up the sacrifice, and they're screaming, they're shouting, they're dancing around. Baal's not answering. And, and, and then Elijah starts um, making fun of him. And he's like, where is your God? Maybe he's asleep. 
maybe he's, I, I love this, it says maybe he's relieving himself. He's like, maybe your God's in, like, in the bathroom, knock louder, right? It's like your kids, you just can't go to the bathroom like by yourself. And so scream louder, shout louder, wake him up. And so that's what they start to do. They start to shout louder. They start to dance. And even since they start cutting themselves with swords until blood is gushing out and still their God is silent. You know why he's silent? Because he's not real. No one's listening. No one's home because he's not there. He's not real. And, and, and so Elijah's turn. So he actually gives them the morning sacrifice time, which is considered the best sacrifice time. And so they do this all morning, all afternoon into like almost evening. And Elijah's like, okay, it's my turn. And so, so he begins to put his sacrifice together. He builds the altar with some stones that had been already torn down. It was, it was an altar to the Lord and and it had been torn down. And so he takes these 12 stones and he builds the altar back up. He brings the sacrifice. He brings the wood. And then we know the story on top of that. What does he do to it? What does he pour on it? Not lighter fluid. Not kerosene. Water. Not just a bucket of water, but 12 buckets of water. Now listen, listen guys. What's been happening for the last three years It's been a drought. It's been a drought. So the water is a scarce commodity. And so he's turning it up a notch. In my mind, and I'd never really thought about this until this week, is like, oh, he just went to the spigot and just took some buckets of water. It's not rained in three and a half years. And this guy has the audacity to take something that is precious and pour it on the altar to drench it. We just see him drenching a sacrifice but he's trusting God even that he's the provider of the water, right? And so he, he drenches it, and this is what he says. At the time of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob also known as, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. He says, answer me, Lord, answer me. He says it twice, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then it says, immediately fire fell from heaven. There was no dancing, there was no singing, there was no shouting, it was a prayer. Fire fell from heaven, and here's why. God responds to prayers of faith. God responds to prayers of faith. He doesn't respond to theatrics. He doesn't respond to showmanship. He doesn't respond to volume. He doesn't respond to lingo, church. He, he doesn't respond to those things. He responds to faith. Scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. And so Elijah is known, when we get to the book of James, Elijah is known um, as someone who is a prayer warrior. It says that the prayers of a righteous man avail us much. They, they accomplish much. And it says that, that Elijah, being human, just like you and I, was able to pray, and the rain stopped. God responds to prayers of faith. There's actually four declarations that I just want to point out real quick in this prayer that, that, that what Elijah is saying. So the first thing he's saying is this. He's saying, look, you are God. 
You are God. You are the only God. You are God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of every generation. You are God. You are God alone. And then he says this, I am your servant. I am your servant. You're God. I'm just your servant. You're God. I'm just your servant. And then he, then he says, answer my prayers. Answer my prayers. Three things. You're God. I'm your servant. Because of those two things, answer my prayer. I'm believing in faith that you're going to answer my prayer. But here's why it says this. Answer my prayers so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God. It says, answer my prayers so that others will know that you are God. How many times have we went into a prayer session with that being the end goal? God, I want you to answer my prayers so that other people will know just how awesome you are. How many times have we went into a prayer session or, or offered a prayer request because we want that to be our end goal? Because that's God's end goal in all things, that, that, that all people would know who he is. And so our answered prayers are so that people know who he is. It's, yes, we want healing. Yes, we want provision. Yes, we want all these things. But the end game for him, the end goal for him is to be known. And, and, and that is done through prayers of faith. And being Friday with, with my pastor sitting in the room and just sharing what he's experienced in the last three or four days. And it's just crazy how, how much things can shift so quickly. Two weeks ago, they were on their 45th wedding anniversary trip. And this week, they're in the hospital and Pastor Sherry's fighting for her life. And multitudes of people have come in and prayed. And at Love and Truth in, in, in Jackson is an extremely diverse church. And my pastor, when he was here, he likes to joke that he's African-American, but he's as white as I am. But he was actually born in Africa. And so because of his connection to Uganda and Nigeria, we have a lot of Nigerians that, that attend Love and Truth in Jackson. And they pray loud. They pray loud. And so we've got this one gentleman, his name's Dr. Adetunji. He's over the prayer team at Love and Truth. And he came in and prayed. And, and he's praying in English. He's praying in tongues. He's praying in every language. He's on his knees and he's praying loud. But then there's also another doctor that came in that actually helped deliver two of my kids and prayed over all three of them. And, and he came in. And the doctor Welsh asked, can I just pray with Sherry? And, and he just went to the edge of the bed and he grabbed her feet, bowed his head, and then walked out. Just so that you guys know, one prayer is not more powerful than the other. It's not in the amount of words. And, and, and here's what my pastor has said, that whatever happens... In this situation, it's not for lack of prayer because there are people all over this globe praying for her healing. But here's what he knows, that, that through a prayer of faith, she is going to be healed either way, right? And so wherever you're at in your journey and you think, I just don't feel like my prayers are working, don't change your volume. Don't change your lingo. Change your heart and just believe that God's gonna answer and it may not turn out exactly how you think and feel the way you think it should, 
but it is for, remember this, the answered prayers are for his glory, that he might be known. And so fire falls from heaven and burns up everything that is there, not just the sacrifice, burns up the wood, burns up the stones, evaporates the water, says even burns up the dirt that's there. So I don't know like how that, like it's just completely charred. There is nothing left and he should be ecstatic at this point. But then his nemesis, King Ahab, goes and tells Jezebel what has happened, and she is furious because all of her prophets are now dead. And she is furious, and guess what she decides to do? She wants to kill Elijah. And I thought this was funny. She actually makes a promise. She makes um, a covenant and says, may the gods kill me, if I don't kill him by tomorrow. How dumb is that? Elijah's just proven that her gods aren't real. So she's making a false, co- like a, like a false promise. Like she can't follow through with that because her God can't do anything because he is not real, right? And so Elijah runs fearing for his life. He runs as far as he can. Now he's, you'd think he would be ecstatic. It's like he just called fire down from heaven can take care, God can take care of one crazy queen, right? But he runs instead. And, and he makes this statement while he's running and he, he stops in the middle of the wilderness and he's asking for the Lord to take his life. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors, God. Just, just take me now, just take me now. Well, if you wanted to end your life, you should have just went on a date with Queen Jezebel, right? And he's saying, just, just take my life. And God tells him to get up and go. And so he goes and he's in this cave. And we know the story. He's in the cave and he's, he's waiting to hear from God. God asks him, what are you doing here? And he goes and, and he stands out at the mouth of the cave. And he sees some incredible things. He sees fire fall from heaven. He sees an earthquake. He sees great wind. But it says God is in none of these things. There's wind, there's earthquake, there's earthquake, there's fire. And after the fire came, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, and I love the imagery of this, just, just imagine, he hears this whisper. And in this whisper, he pulls his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And that God sometimes can speak so loudly in the gentlest of ways. Some of my greatest convictions as a father, as a husband, as a pastor have come in the quietest of moments when everything else is silent, but the Holy Spirit speaks within me because sometimes when God speaks, guys, he whispers. Sometimes he whispers. I had a a gentleman asked me a few weeks ago after church, like, how do you know what God is wanting you to do? Like, like how do you know when he's telling you? And, and I gave him a great theological answer. You just know. <laughs> you just know. You just know that something on the inside of you, like you don't need a sign, something on the inside of you will resonate that this is God speaking to me. And a lot of times, in my life at least, it's been in the gentlest, quietest ways where he's got me all alone. And so God whispers to him and he asks him, he says, he says what, what are you doing here? In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, 
And this actually um, is also repeated again in verse 14. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous. This is Elijah. Look, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and your prophets have been put to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. Elijah is feeling what we all feel. He's been on these journeys of highs of seeing God do incredible things. He's been on these journeys of lows where his people have turned against him and there's been death threats. He feels alone. We've all been there on these journeys. I wanna say a couple of things that may not sit right with you, okay? Because they don't sit right with me, but the more I sit with it, the more it makes sense is that sometimes when we feel alone, loneliness that we feel is often the result of self-isolation, The loneliness that we feel at times is often, not always, hear me, not always, there are times where it is not because of anything that we've done, but oftentimes when we feel alone and lonely, it is because of self-isolation. Right before we see Elijah go deeper into the wilderness, he had a servant with him. He had someone with him, and he said, you stay here, and he kept going. There are times when we don't allow people to walk with us when they're wanting to walk with us and we need them to walk with us. We keep them in the background. And what do we do? We isolate ourselves. And so Elijah wasn't really alone. He had someone with him. He just didn't recognize it. And also I think sometimes loneliness can be, loneliness can sometimes be more about our perspective than our reality. Not always, not always, but I would say more often than not, our loneliness that we feel is more about the perspective and the perception that we have about the relationships that are around us and the situation that we are in. That there are people that are with you, you just don't see them. There are people that are with you, you just don't recognize it. And, and God even tells them this. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 17, it says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint King Hazel, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel. I've been practicing these all night, guys. Right? Abel, Mehola, to succeed you as prophet. Got it out. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel. And Elijah will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God had people protected for Elijah. He just didn't know it. God had, had leaders to stand with him. He just didn't know it. Just like God had commanded the ravens to take care of him in the wilderness, just like God had, had instructed the widow to feed him in Zarephath, God has also set these other leaders and other people up to stand with him when he feels like no one else is standing with him. And I think at the end of this, Elijah would tell us, God does not leave you alone.
He does not leave you alone. You may feel lonely, but listen to me, you are not alone. Some of the truths I've experienced walking in this journey is that, that God is always with us. Like, like we say this, right? God is with you, God is for you, he never leaves you, never forsakes you. And, and here's what we have to remember, those of us who, who have surrendered our life to Jesus, given our life to God, he is always with us. You know why? Because his spirit is where? In us. The spirit of God is in us. His presence is with us. His power is with us. His people are for us. And so, like, I don't know, like, you're here today. You may feel completely alone. Let me let you know, like, God will not leave you alone. His presence is always with you. His spirit is in you. His power is in you. And his people are for you. I did a, a message last December, I think it was December 13th, and that God is with you when you're alone. And we all go on these journeys of highs and lows like Elijah, and he's the greatest prophet. And I look at my pastor who is, who is just a hero in my life, and, and I've seen him build campuses and buildings, and I've seen him walk through sickness himself, and, and, and now to stand with him and him to know like, like God is with me even in this. That he provides where he sends you. He's not just a guide. He's gonna give you a commandment because he's, he's a king to go and do somewhere, to be somewhere. He's gonna provide for you while you're there. And some of you, I think, have been needing an answer on God to, to give you direction. And it could be that he's speaking, but it's so faint. You need to quiet everything else around you so that you can hear that whisper. And I wanna pray those two things specifically as, as we close, is that, that you're needing provision in something he's calling you to. Trust that, that, that he's going to provide that. He's given you a commandment to go, a commandment to do, and he's already made the provision for you there. And he is speaking to you but everything else, your eyes and your ears may be on the flash and the lights and the loud, but he's trying to speak to you early in the morning when it's quiet, late at night when it's quiet, on the car ride home when it's quiet, but your mind is so full of thoughts that you can't hear it. So I'm gonna pray those two things specifically over us this morning. I feel, I feel that for us. Can we pray together? Father, I just come to you and I thank you for this time together in your presence, in your word. God, I've missed just being here. God, I know that you're with us wherever we go, but God, there's just something to get about coming together with your people that you promised, that when we come together in your name, you are here. And God, we know we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. God, these people who have gone before us have experienced life with you and all the trials and successes that come with it. And God, we, we take wisdom from Elijah today in knowing that, that where you send us, you provide. Even when the world around us is in the middle of a drought, that even when it seems like the economy's falling, there's not any rain, the housing market is crazy, 
God, you are our provider, our source. Everything else is just a stream and those streams will flow and those streams will dry up, but we trust on you. And so God, I pray for greater faith in this room today for those needing provision. And God, for those needing an answer and reassurance that you are with them, God, I pray that their ears would be open to your spirit as you whisper, even in the quiet of the morning, the night, and the the ride home when we're caught up in our thoughts. God, that we would hear your voice. We would recognize your voice, that you call us by name, that we would follow your voice. And God, if there's anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, God, that it starts starts there. It starts with, with taking their life and handing it over to you, regardless of how great or how messy it is. It's imperfect unless it's in your hands. And so God, I pray that they would just say yes to you in Jesus' name.